0: Good morning. This is Pastor Todd. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. This week, I am sharing a message for the church. I trust the Lord uses it to encourage and build you up. And here is this week's message. So, can you hear me now? All right, good. So, I don't actually have a PowerPoint. Uh, Things have gotten a little bit busy this week, so you're going to get some Bible verses. but then you just have to listen to me, so I don't have any fun pictures or anything. So it works on you guys now. Ha. So, okay, so we're continuing our series on a character study of Moses. Uh, this is week five of it, so we're, we're kind of rounding toward the end. We're almost done with uh, the study on Moses, because we're not doing his 120-year life. We're just doing some key points. But as we continue our series on Moses, uh, we're going to be looking this week at Moses' preparation to return to Egypt. So last week, Byron talked about like God's encounter uh, with Moses and using the staff to turn into a serpent and leprous leper's hand. Um, and then there's this little, little exchange that happens after that, before Moses goes back to Egypt. And so we're going to look at that uh, in these few verses. It's just verses uh, 14 to 23 of uh, Exodus chapter 4. But we're going to look at his preparation for the return. We're going to look at the importance in trusting God's timing. Uh, and awaiting the Lord's instructions for what to do. And then we'll look at, you know, we're going to summarize that you know, in our lives. Like, this is important for us as well. So, from last week, if you look at those previous verses, here's, here's the basic context of what's going on. Uh, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. So Moses has got this excuse got a speech impediment. We don't know if it was a lisp or if it was something else. But whatever it is, he wasn't well spoken, right? And he's saying, I can't do this. I can't be a mouthpiece for you. I'm not a, I'm not a very good speaker. And God's like, hey, I'm going to teach you what to do. I'm going to be there. So Moses' reply is, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Um, and then, you know, we always hear about God's ever-loving patience. And verse 14 doesn't really seem to indicate that. Like, like there, there is, like, a demarcation, right? The Lord's anger burned against Moses. He's like, I'm calling you. I've given you all this power. I'm showing you the wonders—the snake, the fire, the leprous hand—all of this magic—not magic, but all this powerful supernatural stuff. And uh, I said, I'm going to give you the power to do this, and I'm going to teach you what to say. And Moses still says no. I'm like, ah, right. So the Lord's anger burned against Moses, and said, "What about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you." and he will be glad to see you. So the Lord tells Moses, you will speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. So i pause right there. This is really the first instance we have in Scripture of what we now have like have a concept of what a prophet is, you know they kind of say Moses was the first major prophet, and this is this is what it is because if you break down to use the thirty dollar word the etymology right of prophet, it is to speak for that's basically what it breaks down to uh, it's to speak for typically a deity um, so that 's what prophecy is, whether it 's Here and now, whether it's futuristic, whether it's in the past, whether it's a commandment, whether it's an exhortation, prophecy is speaking for, speaking in place of. And so God has appointed Moses, well, was trying to appoint Moses to speak for God. He says "I got a speech impediment. So then God's like, I'm going to speak to you, and then you're going to speak to Aaron. So you're going to be my prophet, and then Aaron's going to be your prophet. So it's like this little domino effect of prophets going on. uh, Because Moses didn't want to do it himself. So, God sets all that up. Baron's going to help you. Now take this staff in your hand so you can perform signs with it. Now we all have to remember that there's nothing magical or powerful about the staff. It's all the power of God doing stuff. So, articles don't actually have the power. It's the Spirit of God that does stuff. Just put that in there because... It's very easy to think, well, there's this holy item, and this holy item actually does stuff. No, it doesn't. It's the power of God. So, go take this. Then Moses goes back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and says to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. So what Moses is doing here is he's seeking the blessing of an authority figure. So he's got the direct word from God, uh, and at the same time, it's important even if you get a direct word from God, to talk with your authority figures. Because if the authority figure is really seeking the Lord, uh, they're going to recognize what God's doing, and they're going to give you a blessing on that. And that is very important. Now, there are some times where you're under a bad leader, something happens, we get that. But the general normal thing is if a major change is happening, talk to your spiritual leaders so that they can... Like, give the blessing. They can recognize what God's doing and maybe give you some wisdom in the process. Um, so Moses does that. He goes to his father-in-law who's his familial authority. But Jethro is also the priest in Midian. So he's a spiritual authority as well. Uh, so Moses goes to him and tells him, hey, let me go. And he goes, yes, I wish you well. Go. So after the blessing, now we have the call. So, So Moses... Counter with God, this whole dialogue, goes and talks to Jethro, hey, can I go back to Egypt? Go see my family. Um, the Lord's doing the same. Jethro recognizes it, says, Yes, be blessed and go. After that blessing from Jethro, then Moses starts getting the actual call to go. It says, Now the Lord has said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons and put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand. It's important. God said, Take the staff. Obedience, right? Not that the staff has the power. It's that God used this. So God's going to use this, Moses has to take it. So this is this is that's that's, that's all the verses we're going to look at. Super short, super simple. So Moses gets this preparation to return to Egypt. So, now we want to keep in mind the previous chapter. And I don't think I gave you uh, these verses, so you don't have to put them up, okay? Um, Back in chapter 3, right, the previous chapter, um, there's this little exchange, verses 19 and 20. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So this is Moses talking to God in the burning bush. Egypt's not, king's not going to let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. So we got some foreshadowing, right? God's giving him the plan. Hey, you're going to go do this powerful stuff, and Pharaoh's going to say no, and I'm going to force his hand, and then he's going to say yes, right? He, he gave Moses the whole game plan. We, we hardly ever get the game plan. <laughs> but <laughs> Moses got the whole map, right? This is going to happen, then this is going to happen, this is going to happen. Man, would it be so much easier if the Lord told us that on the front end. But, you know, in his wisdom, he chooses not to for us. Most of the time, sometimes people get the full plan. Mike Bilko got the full plan about the house of prayer. Some dude showed, random dude just sends him a letter with a multi-page packet, the blueprint, the whole thing. And uh, he did it, right? But usually we don't get that. Okay, we just get like the next step. Go apply to this job. Uh go buy this car, you know, uh, go save this amount of money. Just, just the next step. And then well, what do we do with it, right? And then he tells us, lucky Moses, right? So, keeping in mind, God said, Pharaoh's not going to let you go until his hand gets forced. We'll keep that in the back of our mind. Now, back back in chapter 4, verses 21 to 23, right? This is going to wrap us the, the, the whole verse up. The Lord clarifies the instructions to Moses, right? So he has us encounter at the burning bush, uh, the whole leper's hand, snake staff thing. Do this, do that. He goes to Jethro, gets the blessing, and then the time comes. And the Lord says, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. Very specific. Make sure Pharaoh sees this, right? It's not... Go show this governor and he'll come and tell Pharaoh. Pharaoh needs to see this for himself. Right? This is the only way this is going to work. But then what to expect? I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, Let my son go so he may worship me. But you refused to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Wow. That's like, Moses gets this on the front end. He doesn't, he's not even in Egypt yet, and he's getting this game plan. Now, usually if you go to an all-powerful authoritarian ruler and tell them that God's going to kill his firstborn son, it's probably not going to go well for you. Just Just saying. Like I've heard some accounts of, uh, I think it was back in the '80s. Uh, one of the major prophets in America was like God was like giving them insight into specific people in high-ranking parts of government with like their personal phone numbers and stuff. And it was like happening so much that like the CIA came and investigated <laughs> what was going on because like like how does he get, how do they have this information? Uh, you know what God does that stuff. I don't want to be in Moses' feet when he's going to have to tell Pharaoh, that firstborn's going to die because you're not letting Israel go. I don't know, it just doesn't sound like the most exciting thing to do, but God called him to do it. So, those are our verses. So, our first point in this, uh, as we did the recall from the previous context, Moses' initial response is to try to get out of the calling. (laughs) Oh, no, Send somebody else. I can't talk right. I have a lisp or... Uh, I I can't pronounce my R's properly, which, you know, when I was a little kid, I could not pronounce my R's. I had to go to speech class to learn how to pronounce R's, and I sat in the class with another kid named Todd, oddly enough, who couldn't pronounce S's, and so we had to go through speech therapy like uh, twice a week, you know, to learn how to pronounce things. I still get tripped up on them sometimes, and if I try to do R's in other languages where they roll them, oh, (laughs) Lord have mercy. So Moses tried to get out of it. Even after the staff turned to a serpent, his hand was leprous and healed, he sees all the mighty things that God can do, and he's still like, please, sir, send somebody else. And uh, God's like, no, no, you're the one, Moses. You, I saved you out of the river. You were raised in the palace. Now you've been um, working as a shepherd under a priest, you know, because Moses is about 80 when the, when this happens, right? So 40 years in the palace, 40 years under Jethro. Uh, and now he's going to do you know, the other 40. So he's, he's trained as a ruler. He's trained as a priest. He's also a Levite. I mean, like, everything stacks up. Moses is the guy. And so really, Moses, you're not getting out of this, buddy. You're not getting out of this. So he tries to. He uses his speech impediment. Seems to annoy the Lord. Says he, the Lord's anger burned against him. Lord offers Aaron and uh, so we get the beginnings of what we know today is, is what a prophet does uh, a historical comparison is uh, maybe you guys know uh, Pope Gregory the uh, first way back in the late 400s early 500s I know Pope oh we're not Catholic we don't know you know what there's godly people in the Catholic Church godly people outside and then ungodly in both right so, Pope Gregory I was just a really gifted administrator, really gifted uh, at, at guiding things, was very gifted in, in diplomacy. And he, he pretty much saved uh, Italy from being taken over by the Lombards and other invading barbarians. He didn't want to be Pope. Uh, the, the, the tradition has it that like, he was so good at what he did but he didn't want any positions and so when it came time to elect a pope, they elected him, and he was like hiding behind curtains, trying not to, get, not to become pope. And, well, if they can't find me, I can't be pope. And they tracked him down and, they, and, and compelled him. It was probably more the Spirit of the Lord also compelling him, but uh, compelled him to become uh, the pope or the, the, the bishop of Rome because it wasn't, as, it, wasn't more, it wasn't as authoritarian as it was like in the Middle Ages at that time. It's a little, little bit different role in the early church. But he was kind of like Moses, he didn't want the position, he didn't, and he tried to avoid it, and God's hand was greater, and it was compelled to become the Pope, and he, he saved the city of Rome, he reinvigorated industry. I mean, this is when, when all of the emperors and stuff went off over to Constantinople, and Rome was just kind of left as a symbolic capital, and it was, it was drying up, and he reinvigorated and saved that portion of the empire as a religious leader, not as an emperor. So he did a lot of great stuff. Uh, I won't get into the rest of it, but but kind of an example of, of Moses. Like He didn't want to do that. Pope Gregory didn't want to do this. But God's hand prevailed because God had a purpose in all of this. So that's our first point. Our second point is the importance of seeking the blessing of a spiritual head or a spiritual leader. In this case, it was Jethro. Because good leaders understand the call of God on someone and they partner with them to ensure their success. Now a bad leader tries to just hoard all the talent together for their purpose, for their organization. Uh, But good leaders understand that if if God's going to do a work in somebody and they need to go somewhere else, they recognize that and they want to empower that person to grow and succeed in what God's called them to do. Uh, we, we aim to be like that here at TGP. We, that's, we don't keep a, uh, a membership role. You don't have to like sign a membership pledge to our church or anything like that because we know at any given moment God might call Juan to go minister at a church in Zion, right? Or he might call Justin to go minister to a church in Mundelein. If God puts the call on it, who are we to resist that, right? But the spiritual leader, the spiritual head, is, is there for, to give guidance, to give insight, to give Um, empowerment for for everybody to thrive the way that god has called them to thrive and that's what is going on here moses goes to his spiritual authority and says please let me go back to egypt and jethro gives him the blessing he recognizes what god is doing and gives that blessing and jethro like that's not the end of the story for jethro once they get out into the wilderness jethro is the one that gives him more insight about like hey you need to like Organize this group so that you're not trying to, to mitigate and litigate 800,000 people's complaints every day. Like You need help. You're going to wear yourself out, right? So that's, that's a, a prime importance uh, that we pull out of this, is that Moses understood the, getting the blessing from his spiritual leader in this. Good disciples know how to work under proper authority structures and trust God for the movement, and for release. And so a good leader knows how to recognize God's move in somebody and to give a blessing. A good disciple knows how to work in the authority structure. And so in this, Moses ex- exemplifies a good disciple that he recognizes the authority structure, follows those channels so that he gets a blessing and gets guidance from the wisdom. Because if you, if you just break, if you don't follow uh, the structure, if you don't follow the setup, then you're really breaking in bad faith somebody he, who spends time overseeing and guiding you right uh, and and then you don't get to glean from their wisdom you don't get to glean from what they've learned over the years and, and the resources that they have not that you know Jethro gave him a bunch of resources but but even that wisdom is a wonderful thing to take and that blessing is powerful I mean in, in the scriptures blessings conveyed inheritance blessings conveyed uh, God's hand to continue with people, uh, and re- withholding blessings uh, or, or pronouncing curses had spiritual impacts as well. When you look at uh, King David's era, um, one of the priests that was with him died and ended part of a priestly line. That was a result of a curse from Eli back in the prophet Samuel's time. Uh, he said, like basically, like because of. Eli's inability to train his kids to do proper priestly work his line was going to be snuffed out. That line gets snuffed out under King David even though the descendant was a good priest under David. That curse carried down because of authority structures uh, appropriating, you know, not appropriating, following the proper authority structure. In my own life I, I, I had this. Um, when I was in college the church I was at, the, the pastor uh, it was on a Wednesday night, I remember that and uh, the pastor also plays drums, so he was like drumming for the worship band stops the worship band like mid-worship and then calls me out and has all the elders present go over and just pray over me I, didn't, I got no details, I got no, no understanding why <gasps> nothing, right? Like I didn't get the game plan from Moses, I was just sitting there worshiping and all of a sudden he's like stop, stop, everybody stop like I gotta say, I this the way he put it, he goes, The amount of times I've gotten a direct word for somebody, um, it's like this, I can count it on one hand. And he has all the elders come over and pray over me and I got no details. I didn't know what to do. I lost it. I started crying. I was like, oh, it blew my mind, I didn't know what to do. And uh, like later on, like you know, a couple months later, I'm like, What? What did you see? you know, he goes, Well, I, I see you um, in full time ministry. I was like, Oh, okay but but he had wisdom to go with it. And part of that wisdom was don't force it to happen. In God's timing, he will guide you and he will open the doors. Right. Right. right? So if if he wasn't a good leader and just said, I see you sometime in full-time ministry and didn't give me that wisdom and advice, there's a very good chance I would have tried to make that happen on my own in my own timing with very disastrous effect, you know? Right. And so there's this whole wisdom aspect. And even when it came to fruition, like two or three years later, that I was going to move across the state all the way up here, because, you know, I'm down by Kentucky, uh, to go to a little place called Trinity that I'd never heard of before. The only reason it got onto my my radar was because I worked at McDonald's. There was this regular pastor that would come in and get coffee. And I told him, you know, I'm looking at seminaries. And he had me read an article from a professor in a book of, like an anthology, just like a bunch of random articles from a guy named D. A. Carson, and I don't know if anybody knows who he is. He was like a big guy at Trinity, and it was uh, he really appreciated the guy, and so that that's the only reason the Trinity even got on the map, right? So I was like, okay, I looked into it. Thought, okay, well, it, it was either that or Oral Roberts University, which was unaccredited, and um, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, <laughs> and uh, southwestern south southwestern baptist theological seminary like well i'm not baptist uh, i knew the education would be good but there'd be no spirit uh, they're all all against that and i didn't want to deal with four years of indoctrination of like the spirit doesn't exist you know doesn't work the way that it, i've seen him work for the last 10 years of my life right and uh i didn't want to go to oklahoma and so i was like well trinity all right lord uh, if you want me in there then you'll let me in well i got in so i went um, and, and, and I told uh, you know I told the told this pastor. I was like look, like I'm I got accepted into Trinity. I'm going to go there, and you know he he asked me like the, the very wise rational questions. He was like well do you do you have a job lined up? No. Like do you, do you have any contacts up there? No. Do you have a place to stay? No. Like do you have money to move? No. Nothing. And the wise thing to say is what he was going to say was. You, know, you need to get a few ducks in a row before you just hop out and move I right? like like that's a very smart thing to say and uh, he was getting ready to say it and he told me after the fact like 10 years later he's like at that moment the Holy Spirit said shut your mouth Ooh. don't say a word it's like okay so he didn't say a word I was just left with his questions with no answers and uh, walked out of there going, yeah, well, okay. <laughs> you know, like that was it. Uh, but I went to him, and, and he was an authority structure. And, and like, and it, was, it, was a, it was an elder-run church. So like the pastor didn't have like top authority. He was a, a group of uh, like, I don't know, 12 elders that made decisions. And he was a huge proponent for them to like give me money to help me move and to help me get started and also helped pay part of my tuition Up there, so like he was in my court, right? I had a spiritual authority, which I still looked to him for wisdom. Was in my in my court, backing me, saying God's hand is on this man. We need to support that, or we're going against God. Because there was this respectful structure, right? I tried to be a good disciple. You know, I'm not perfect. None of us are, but we work at it, right? It's that goodwill, it's that effort, and he was a good leader. And he was doing all the good leader stuff. Even, like, like, and it would still be a good leader stuff to ask those questions, right? But he was also sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to know when to shut up. That was important. And, you know, here it is. That was, I don't know, that was 2001. I mean, like, we're looking at 20, 23, 24 years later, right? Uh, I can't do math, so it's somewhere in there. Uh, <laughs> So, and, and, and here I am now, like we're in this church. It's not full time. I'm not really worried about that part. God's I got other stuff. But I got my beautiful wife here, I got my three beautiful kids. Like, that would have never happened if I'd have taken time to get my ducks in a row and done things a conventional way had He not listened to the Holy Spirit when the Holy Spirit said, shut up. None of us had that game plan. Right, none of us knew that this was going to happen, but God had that plan, and He was guiding us each step of the way. So the importance of seeking that blessing from a spiritual leader, no matter what it is—if it's getting a new job, if it's moving to a different place—like seeing God's hand working in somebody is very important, and it's important for leaders to recognize that, and it's important for disciples to recognize uh, the leadership and the leaders, you know, covering in a lot. So Moses did. He went to Jethro. All right. So that's going to move us on to the next, next step. God will call when the timing is right. Right? Just like with my pastor back then. He said, you'll, you'll end up in the ministry. Don't try to make it happen. God's timing. Right? Same thing happens here. Moses has this encounter at the burning bush. Has this exchange with God about the staff and the hand and, and all of that. Lines it up with Aaron. Aaron's coming to visit him. We don't know what the time span is between that and going, but we know that there's some bit of time that happens because the Lord tells Moses, "It is time. Go, right." And why? Why? Why does He say now is the right time? Uh, if we looked back in the, into the verse, it says, "Because everybody who sought your life is dead." So now it's a little bit safer to go back, and so God called him out to Midian. God, God's always good about having like three or four purposes to one specific thing, right? He goes to Midian, 40 years, gets married as a kid, learns priestly duties, learns how to shepherd, and the whole time he's doing all of this, God's making sure that everybody who's seeking his life is dying out so that that threat is gone when he calls him back. Moses couldn't have anticipated that until God tells him, all right, time to go back. Everybody else is dead, so you're going to go back. So the timing is right. Moses goes back because it's a lot safer, right? A lot can happen in 40 years, right? What happens when they're in the wilderness for 40 years? That old generation died, and then the new generation went in. A lot can happen in 40 years. So I bet the old pharaoh was dead. All of his governors were probably dead. New people have been appointed to all the positions. Everybody's forgotten Moses. He's a byword. So when he comes back, it's a little bit different. It's why it's important to trust in God's timing and not in our own. Because, and I've said this ever since the, the Barclays Bible study days way back, the right thing at the wrong time still a wrong thing. Timing is crucial. Seeking the Lord's wisdom on that timing is very important. Another person who kind of falls into the right timing So this is like another side example. How many of you remember Martin Luther? So not Martin Luther King Jr., right? But Martin Luther, right? Martin Luther, German, Augustinian monk, lived a life rattled with guilt. Um, Basically was so annoying to all of his other monk brethren because he was so adamant about like, even like cleaning the floors that he was making everybody look bad and they just annoyed with him. And he, he seemed to be like he was a little bit OCD as well, but that's a whole other thing. You can read his biographies. Martin Luther, because of God's timing, was able to be one of the linchpins for what we call the Protestant Reformation. Like, you have this break from this authoritarian medieval um, iron-handed uh, approach from the catholic church and martin luther because of the timing the stage was set for him to be able to cause a break and for me the most important thing in this is people now able to get access to the word of god themselves now there's a good and a bad with that right but that's an important tool to have to know God's word and not just somebody's interpretation of God's word or a a tradition of interpretation that isn't really critically analyzed, right? So Martin Luther, this is why the timing was so important for him. A hundred years ago, um, previous to, to Martin Luther, there was another theologian that tried something similar, ended up getting burned at the stake at the Council of Constance. That was, was it Constance? It was Jan Hus. He was, a, he was a, a Czech reformer. Was burned at the stake because he he went against the teachings of the Catholic Church. Uh, I won't get into the details. What happens from the time of Jan Hus to the time of Martin Luther? The Gutenberg printing press. Now the Bible doesn't start getting circulated out at that point. What happens is Martin Luther is able to write literature. He writes that literature, goes to the printing press, mass production. So he can actually get information right into the hands of the populace. Something could be said about that with the internet today, but that's a whole other thing. But he's able to get that stuff out there. So when he gets called to trial, just like Jan Hus, the whole situation was set up just the same way. We're going to promise you safe passage there and back. Um, you'll, you'll go there. You'll be able to present your case. People will listen to you, uh, and then you can go on your way. They told the same thing the Yonhaus. As soon as he got there, they condemned him, burned him at the stake. Like, same pattern, like everything set up. Oh, yeah, no, you'll safe passage. Well, Martin Luther happens to be in the good graces of the local Duke uh, of the area who knew, they call him Frederick the Wise, who, who knew about all of this and he understood what was going on. So unbeknownst to Martin Luther, right, because we don't get the whole game plan, he goes to the trial. And they they condemn him. They bar him a heretic. So he's on the way out. like, Like, there's a bounty on his head. Like, first person gets dibs, right? Kind of a thing to kill him. So Frederick the Wise had a whole bunch of people, like, stage a kidnapping and kidnapped Martin Luther and stuffed him in a castle somewhere under a false name for I don't know how many years so that he'd be safe. And he spent that whole time translating the Latin Bible into the German vernacular. And that German Bible is what set the stage for people to start understanding scriptures on a much deeper level. So, timing, right? hundred years before, done, right? He had to have the printing press. Uh, Frederick the Wise had to be the Duke. He had to have the, the temperament that he had, and he had to be able to be exposed to all the corruption in the, in the Catholic church that causes that break. If it wasn't for that perfect storm the Reformation would be a lot different than it was. Just like if it wasn't for the perfect storm of Moses, his mom holding on to him for three months, putting him in a safe basket in the river, being found by the princess, being raised in the palace, fleeing, being in Midian for 40 years, learning how to be a priest, and then the burning bush encounter. If all of that timing hadn't been this perfect storm, Moses wouldn't have been the prophet that he was called to be. So God's hand was working in this. So the importance of God's timing is right. And so that's something that when we pray about major changes in life, timing should be a major factor in that change. Uh, Seeking the Lord's timing to open the doors. This is one of my prayers for anything. Is that Lord? If it's your will, I want you to open the doors that need to be opened, and close the doors that need to be closed. You know that that's out of Revelation, right? Any any door that the God's open, no man can shut. Anything he shuts, no man can open. I invite that into my situation, and trust the Lord to open the proper doors. Because I mean, like, if if I don't trust Him that, there might be an open door here and an open door here. Which one do you take, right? I mean, it's like it, it could be a bad. So, Lord, I know you can open the doors, so can the enemy. So why don't you close the doors you don't want me to go through? All right? So that's, 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 that's it. I mean, like, that's, that's my advice, you know? Invite the open and closed doors. So that's our third point. And now our fourth point. This is the last one. I told you it was going to be a little brief so we could have uh, more time. God tends to give instructions just prior to the assignment, Right? You know, Moses got the whole thing mapped out, but some of those specifics, he waited until it was time. Um, This kind of harkens me forward into the New Testament. Luke 12, 11 to 12, Jesus teaches his disciples. When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. I'll take a little pause right here. As a pastor, as a, somebody who's been a public speaker for 15 years and uh, a Bible teacher for the same amount of time, I don't think it's a very wise idea to use this Bible verse as an excuse for never preparing for anything. Mm-hmm. That's just foolishness. So what is he saying here? He's saying that if you're going to be uh, called account, right, for your beliefs, if you're going to be questioned, no matter what, what it is, the Holy Spirit's going to give you what you need at that time. What is that going to require? Well, it's going to require knowing how to listen to the word of the Holy Spirit, right? What's the best way to sharpen your ability to hear the Holy Spirit? Know the scriptures. Because he's not going to go against the scriptures. If you're absolutely ignorant of 60% of the Bible, a.k.a. the Old Testament, you're only getting part of the story of God's character. I mean, like it's an important story. The New Testament is a very important story. I'm not denigrating that whatsoever. But if you're ignoring the, what is it, the 40-some-odd books in the Old Testament, like there's so much about God's heart and God's character in there that we're just blind to, which means that when we're hearing the Holy Spirit, we could be putting our own opinions in with what we're hearing and coming up with something that's never been promised by God. So, absolutely important. If the Holy Spirit's going to teach you what to say, you're going to need to know how he talks. Right? right. If Shannon's going to teach me what's important to her, she's going to have I'm going to have to know what she means. Like, when is there... Uh, an unspoken request in a statement, right? <laughs> I'm cold. Okay, so do I or do I not adjust the thermostat, right? I mean like there's something unspoken there. But sometimes there's a request there and sometimes there's not a request there. Sometimes there's an I'm cold as she's grabbing a blanket, which is okay, I don't really have to do anything. But she's sitting there with a the robot on, going, ha, I'm cold. Okay, let's go turn the heat up a little bit. You know, like, like, there's a context, right? Same thing with the Holy Spirit. We have to know what he's saying. Uh, and so we need to learn how to listen. We're going gonna to be starting uh, some prophecy stuff, uh, like workshops and stuff here in the near future. I'm still working on it. Life got busy. I was supposed to have it ready in January. I'm sorry. I'm working on it. But a lot of, I mean, like, I honestly say 90% of anything prophetic related in the church 90% of it is just simply learning how to hear the voice of the Lord. That's it. Like no bells, no whistles, no fireworks, just how does the Lord talk, right? That's important. So God's going to give us the instructions. Well, Moses knew like his traditions, he knew his heritage. Like whenever he did grow up, just before he killed the uh, the taskmaster, the Egyptian, it says that he had chosen Not to be treated like royalty, but to be identified with his brethren. So he understood the culture of God's blessing on the people of Israel. It's important to know that. It's important to know God's heart on things. When you know the voice of the Lord, when he speaks, you can recognize it. So as Moses is approaching this coming exchange, now God said, you're going to do this, you do this, da 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 da. When the time comes, God gives him some specifics. He says, what to do? Make sure you do these wonders in front of Pharaoh, right? Previously, he's like, yeah, do this this miracle thing. Throw your stick down. Picks up the stick, right? Snake, no snake. Hand, leprous. I'm going to do this to let the people free. Okay. Then he gets more specific. Make sure you do it in front of Pharaoh. He sees this with his own eyes. And then he goes on. I'm going to harden his heart, right? So God reiterates this because he won't let the firstborn of Israel go. God's going to kill the firstborn of Pharaoh. Now we go through how many plagues? Roughly 10, right? Before he gets to killing the firstborn. So it's not like like it was like first thing right out of the gate, son dies, right? Pharaoh has a chance. Um, There's a debate as to what it means by God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Good arguments on both sides. This is where I fall. Do you guys ever go to the Gurney Mills and they have those, uh, those big like coin funnels? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Like right in, the, right in the hallway, you drop a coin, it goes like this. Yeah. And it goes and goes and goes. And it falls in, right? <laughs> That's how I view this whole predestination, God doing stuff. Is that left to our natural causes, we're that coin. It's just going around and going around, on down, until we're utterly destroyed. That's what we do. That's the fallen human nature. Romans says, nobody seeks God. Not one. None are good. We're all doing that. Some at faster paces than others, right? And God's grace is when he goes on and he stops the coin. And that's how I'm seeing this. Is like All God has to do to harden Pharaoh's heart is just let Pharaoh do what Pharaoh does. Stubborn, 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 and in the whole process, right? Nine of those plagues, at least nine, maybe all, maybe all ten, systematically destroyed a deity in the Egyptian religion. Yep. Yep. They worshipped a lord of flies. They worshipped frogs, right? Like, you know, because they have those weird combo animal-human things, right? But they're all different gods with different purposes. So every plague, the river, was a god. Most of the ancient uh, Mediterranean world, the river represented this, it's mostly the same name, but just different ways to pronounce it, Tiamat. It was a river god. It was a god of chaos. It was a chaos god. And so when he turns the river to blood, Destroys the river, so to speak, right? He's destroying the chaos god. And then when he gets to the locusts, that's another thing. They they worship the locust. They lo- they they worship the harvest. He had a god of the harvest. Destroys the harvest, right? Systematically destroys ten gods in Egypt. Why is that? Why is number ten a god? Because Pharaoh is considered a deity, descended from Horus, right? So now the firstborn son, the Pharaoh, should be a born deity, destined for worship. Is killed by the great I am. Every God dismantled before Pharaoh has to relent and let the people go. So God has all of this set up. But for Pharaoh's hardened heart, all he had to do was just let that coin keep going. And Pharaoh just did what Pharaoh did. And ended up in the bottom of the Red Sea. So there's that. So anyway, in conclusion, uh We're just going to summarize the points. When God calls, just don't try to get out of it. I know it's going to be uncomfortable, it's going to be hard, but obedience to the Lord is going to put you in a far better place than not being obedient. He's calling us, He calls me, He calls you, He calls you, He calls you for very specific reasons related to the way that He's made us. He's, He's formed us in in our mother's wombs, our innermost being he knows, he's created us inside and out. There's a very specific purpose for us. Maybe it's to the nations, maybe it's to Libertyville, maybe it's to the household. Like, don't worry about aspirations of grandeur, that doesn't matter, it's being obedient to the Lord. So when he calls, don't try to get out of it. Do what the Lord calls. One of, uh, I've got a, a friend up in Michigan, he's a Roman Orthodox, uh, a Russian Orthodox priest. He's actually ethnically Irish. That's kind of a funny story. <laughs> but when he was Irish Catholic in the 1970s, he was part of the, the Catholic charismatic movement. Maybe you guys know about this, maybe you don't. And um, he told us, a st- he's a good storyteller. He's really good at this. So I'm gonna try to like abbreviate it so that we have some time. But he met up with, uh, years later, he met up with uh, a lady that, that was in the movement with him. And she was like, oh, Father Michael, that, that's what he said, Father Michael. Father Michael, like, uh, he was saying back then, um, like, you know, back then, like, we were, we were playing with fire. And she's like, yes, Father Michael, but it was real fire. Like, it's a real fire of the Holy Spirit, right? And, and they recognized that. And so he knew about the prophetic movement and stuff. And, and as, as a Russian Orthodox, he, he has a, a different view on Protestants, right? Which I get, I respect it, it's a different way of seeing things. But he did have a, a good, a barb, right? A good critique of uh, a lot of the charismatic movement. And it was this, it's like, most of the time when you, when you hear a prophet prophesying over somebody, it's this great, massive prophecy about how they're gonna like change the nations, and how they're just going to like influence swaths of people, you almost never hear a prophecy that goes like this. God's calling you to pastor a church of 20 people. And at the end of your days, nobody else will remember you. But God will be pleased. You almost never hear that in a prophecy. And uh, you know what? I'm pastoring a church of 20 people. And at the end of my days, if The only ones that remember me are my kids and the Lord. I'm okay with that. And I think being okay with that is really the crux of being willing to obey the Lord no matter what. Like, yeah, it's great to say, oh, yeah, God's going to call you to Africa. I want Africa. All right, great. You know what? God's called me to Antioch. And I'm in Antioch. And I got three kids. I don't know how they're going to manage millions of people with that call. But man, I'm having a hard time managing three little kids. Just being honest. I've got my hands full. And so uh in some ways I'm like, all right, no more Lord. <laughs> no more, Lord. Don't say that. <laughs> so oh whatever whatever you know what whatever God calls me to, I'm game for. Right? But then we're like, you know, but in the flesh, you're like, I can how can I, can even, I can't even I can even sleep until like seven p.m. seven AM, you know? Like I uh, they're up at six AM, wake me up. Fine. You know what? It's a calling on God, and I'm okay with that. And, uh, Amen. So when God gives us instructions, He's going to give us like the specifics when the time comes, and He's going to give us the wisdom uh, to work with that. So don't try to get out of it. It's important to understand and seek the blessing of our spiritual authorities. You know, like it's really important because, like, there's blessing that comes with that. It's not just because. Authority is authority's sake. God set this stuff up so that spiritual blessing flows from the authority structure. And it's a good thing. And waiting on the Lord is tough. But when God's call comes, you know the timing is going to be right. Whether it's a new job, whether it's buying a house, whether it's uh, having a kid, like God's timing is just right even if it feels inconvenient to us, it's just right. And so trusting on that. And that God often gives instructions to us just before the engagement, right? So like, God says, you know, something like, you're going to go to Oklahoma, right? Okay, you're going to go to Oklahoma. Then you wait 15 years. And then when two days before, it's like, okay, this house is up for sale. Buy it, right? Like, Okay, so I know buying a house is not that quick. It's a longer process, but work with me here. <laughs> But trusting the Holy Spirit to give you the words to speak, to give you the wisdom to do what needs to be done, right? And how do we hear those words accurately? Knowing how he talks, right? Knowing the scriptures and knowing the way that the Holy Spirit works. It's because it's a relationship. It's knowing his personality and how he speaks to us. And that's it. So uh, that's it for our uh, study on Moses for this week. Um, so for any of anybody listening on the podcast, if this is new information to you, if, if you, you know, like, how do you listen to the Holy Spirit? I don't know this God. I don't know this Jesus. If you're interested, then just say this with me. Jesus, I'd like to hear from you. I'd like to know your voice. To know if you're real. To know if you're legitimate. And if this is something worth looking into. And, uh, Show me a way, Jesus. I'm open to it. Amen. That's it. That's all you have to do. Um, and then trust that he's going to show you a way. If you do have an encounter, then talk with a Christian that you know. If you don't know anybody, you can always get a hold of us at tgp at info. Dot Man, I just lost it. You can get a hold of us at info at TGPchicago.org. Info at TGPchicago.org. And uh, we'll be glad to get a hold of you and uh Answer any questions that you have. So uh, I'm going to wrap this up, uh, this part in prayer, and then we're going to do some prophecy. So I've asked uh, Kara to uh, to join me this morning and uh, see what the Lord does. So, dear only Father, as we transition from uh, the service to giving words, I pray that you would move uh, in a great way, that you would speak to your people in a way that's near and dear to your heart, and in a way that our hearts will understand and be receptive to. We give you the thanks, the praise, the glory, and the honor, and we trust you, Lord, to speak your heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Hello again, this is Pastor Todd. I pray the Lord uses my message today to strengthen your walk with God. If you were blessed by this message and would like to support the ministry of The Gathering Place financially, I encourage you to use our online giving portal at tgpshicago.org. The portal uses PayPal's secure site, so none of your information is compromised. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the Gathering Place podcast. God bless you, and have a great week.